my story led me to harder shit that once it hit that, it was over. Like whatever ledge was left, I was like off that shit. And Hey guys, welcome back to the Millennial Mentality Podcast. I am your host, Nick Agnelli, here with my co-host, Peter Price. You. And our guest today, Garrett Mitchell. Garrett, thank you so much Stoked for coming for on today, man. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Yeah. Guys, to you, thank you for watching, listening, viewing, and subscribing. Your support means the world to us. Continue to tell your family and friends about us. That's uh, our one request, so thank you so much for that. Um, one quick thing, I did buzz my head. Boom, Garrett, gone. In case uh, you didn't notice. <laughs> in case you didn't notice, I look like a thumb. <laughs> uh, but a uh, thumb with a little bit of hair on top. But it's okay. I've been called a lot of things. Rapper, young thug. Uh, you I, don't, know, I don't get that right. The Michelin man, just a few. But uh, a yoga instructor today. But uh, it, aerobics. It's crazy when you shave your head how you feel the breeze on your hair mm. too. You know, yeah. you know that. You know when you, you gotta walk be out. careful when you go out in the sun too. You get a sunburn now. Like imagine scalp. girls with long hair shave their head. Like the difference. You, we never think about that. Like how hot their fucking head must be. Dude. It's probably weird having all that hair all over you all the time. It's like a thick beanie every day. <laughs> yeah. That sucks, dude. Yeah. Um, well, to Garrett. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, I really, we kind of got your background. Uh, we, we ask all of our guests kind of a background before they come on. But besides that, we've, I think we've interacted once or twice. I don't know where, but I'm going to figure that out. But, <laughs> we'll get to the bottom. Yeah, but but uh, I'm really excited to hear your story because it, it seems like one of, of just triumph and excellence and hardships and all that shit. So bring me back to kind of the beginning where you were born and raised and kind of your upbringing. Yeah, man. So born in New York City and uh, lived there in Forest Hills and Astoria, which is a neighborhood in Queens, two different neighborhoods, till I was four years old. Then moved to Montclair, New Jersey, which is a suburb of New York City. Really amazing place to grow up. It's um, 12 miles west of Manhattan. So it's like 20 minutes outside of Manhattan. Um, It was kind of like a utopian type of an upbringing because it was like very much a bubble where... It was incredibly diverse. It was like sheltered from a lot of realities of the world. Um, I and so uh, grew up in New Jersey, um, and then went back to New York City um, for college. Played lacrosse at St. John's University, um, but as like the whole childhood segment of my life was just uh, a very. It was an amazing experience. It almost feels like a different life because I was like involved in this extremely competitive youth soccer. So it was like youth soccer at like the highest level. So we had corporate sponsors. We were flying all over the country by sixth grade. Um, And you were on this team? Yeah, it was it was pretty intense and like flying around the country. Yeah, flying around the country. Um, And so it was really interesting because looking back, it was like it was just our life. It was our childhood. And it was this group of guys that we were like brothers and we were with each other. So just to kind of like paint the picture, like it was practice every single day after school for like two hours minimum. Um, our train, our coach and our trainer was like an ex Haitian national team soccer coach. So it was like very regimented and structured. It was very intense. Um, and every weekend we'd play like a minimum bare minimum of two games, but it was usually closer to like three or four. It was like an all day thing Saturday, all day thing Sunday. And like as a kid, 
when you grow up and you look back, it's like, wow, like my parents' life was like literally right. dedicated to this. And it's, it was like, I was oblivious at the time, but now you, I just look back and like, so grateful that they just like put everything else aside. Um, and so throughout that experience, it was just like, I mean, we were like, all into this and if we lost a game like if we lost once a year it was a thing and we were all in tears we I mean we were crying and it was like a mental thing for like the next couple days and then but it was just uh, amazing values and um uh, lessons learned in terms of like what it takes to be successful at the top level um, and bonds that you make as a kid that are with you for the rest of your life no matter where you go um and so that, it was cool because we had, um, at the tail end, we were sponsored by Enron, which was that wild energy company that went that had all the fraud connected to it and then went out of business. Um, Never heard right. of it. This is insane, though. Yeah, so Enron, just Google Enron okay. later. It was like a huge scandal of the late 90s. It was like, like all our parents probably, yeah. you know, had money invested. It was in like... Um, the big uh, index funds and stuff like that. So like when it went under, it was a huge deal. And that was like one of, that was our biggest corporate sponsor. So it was just a cool little <laughs> sidebar. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so just very intense uh, athletic upbringing, um, transition to play lacrosse in middle school as a focus because I couldn't do both. Um, it wasn't really an option to miss a soccer practice during the week for like a championship lacrosse game. Like that just wasn't even acceptable. So I kind of made a decision to switch gears and that was really tough. Um, what do you think you were better at? Man, it's really hard, like, because I was really good at soccer. Um, but everything, like, played out the way it was supposed to um, for me. I see you as a lacrosse player. I don't see you as a soccer player. Yeah. Like, you got good feet. I mean, it was. I was never really, like, the, the technical guy yeah. in either of my sports. I was more of the grit player mm. um, and, like, the team guy and, like, the, like... You slide tackling, motherfucker. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lock, I'm gonna lock in, and yeah, yeah. I'm gonna make a statement. Mm -hmm. um, you ever do a soccer flop in your days? Nah, I never flop. No. Nah, I don't flop. <laughs> does it, does it like excite you or make you laugh? Like when you're watching professional soccer, you see these guys rolling like 17 times. Totally, because um, it, it would happen to us all yeah, the time, yeah, but yeah. it just, it wasn't, it wasn't in my character. Nah, that, nah, yeah. nah, nah. Then you start chirping them. Oh, geez. Yeah. So, so you pick lacrosse. You decide to go all in with that. And then what was that experience like moving through high school with it? Yeah, man. That was, um, you know, from the moment that I had kind of shifted over, um, I was just obsessed with playing Division One, And I kind of knew in the back of my mind that realistically it was going to take basically everything I had because I knew that, like, I was competing at a high level at the high school level, but when we would go play in these travel clubs and these type of select environments, I knew that my raw skill and my technical ability was not as high as some of these other guys. So I wasn't going to be able to make it D1 off of that. So and if and I needed to get my skills to a point where I could supplement it and get it to a place where I could achieve the level that I wanted to. And like I was getting tons of D3 offers and I could have um, I had scholarship offer from 
uh, Salisbury, which at the time was like kind of like the dynasty team for D3. Okay. They won the national championship like three out of the four years going into. It's like North Dakota for college football type thing. Yeah, yeah pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. So they ran D3, but I just wasn't interested in that. Yeah. Um, and so the beautiful thing about that was, you know, it was really something where, again, I learned the lesson of really like what it takes. And it looked like it, it almost felt like it wasn't going to happen. And so leading up to that, my junior year, I actually sat for like the whole first part of the season uh, because I got a stress fracture. So like backing up a little bit, actually, um, my father passed away from a heart attack um, my junior year. And that just kind of like everything fell apart and, and that year of my life. Um, and then turns out like I have this situation with my back and I have a stress fracture in my back so I can't do any physical activity so like during the whole winter preseason leading up to my junior year I couldn't train I couldn't participate the way I wanted to directly and so when I finally like I jumped the gun and I was just like um can we curse on here yeah uh, yeah so basically I was like fuck this and I took this brace off and I got back out there but it was actually too soon and I didn't um, properly supplement it with the physical therapy and stuff that they were advising. Like I was doing it, but only really the bare minimum. I wasn't doing the exercises that they prescribed me to do throughout the week and stuff. So back locks up and this like starts like I kind of had a back issues then moving forward then like for the rest throughout college. Um, so anyway, it put me at a disadvantage. I didn't really get recruiting exposure that I wanted to during junior year so basically went all in to my senior year that that was going to be the stage that I had to make it happen and so um yeah it ended up just um and just countless nights like a story of just countless nights um I lived on my street I had two schools on my block that had lights in the parking lot and so it was like me developing my relationship with myself and like coping with losing my dad and I would just turn to lacrosse and I would go to these schools at night damn near every single night I'd either be running practicing with my stick or I'd be at this lot just playing wall ball which for lacrosse is like how you build your stick skills and stuff so it was just countless hours of that countless hours of shooting and training and was um, it your therapy it really was yeah um now just to go to your dad, um, if you don't mind me asking, was it a heart attack that was just out of nowhere? Was it stress-induced? What, what was? Because my dad had a heart attack in high school as well. Yeah, pretty crazy. So both my parents were um, Broadway performers, dancers. Okay. All right. So my dad was actually on stage um, performing in Washington, D.C. when he had the heart attack. So he was in still really amazing shape if you looked at him the night he you know collapsed he looked amazing for his age um it was just you know diet like no i guess and hereditary disposition but um he was dancing like eight shows a week so he was burning all this calories he was in great shape so he really didn't have consideration for what he ate and i think that had a big part of it um other than that, yeah, he, there was like a big clot that broke and broke in two and just like freak things. So 
And then did he, was he like, because when my dad, he didn't pass, so it was very hard that they had a, like basically open heart surgery on him. But he was like, ah, my, my chest hurts. I'm going to go to the hospital. For your dad, was it like he, he collapsed at the dance itself and they had to call 911? Yeah, so he was performing with this man called uh, Mikhail Baryshnikov. And he's like probably the most famous uh, male ballet dancer in the world that's still alive right now um so it was kind of like a legendary way to go out but yes he collapsed on stage they uh defibrillated him kind of uh but there was basically what happened was there was too long of a period that his heart wasn't beating by the time they got him to the hospital and they got everything back up and running or it was between the time of the first time they tried to defibrillate him but they did restart his heart and got it going. He was in the hospital in D.C. We all came down. And uh, eventually after like almost a couple days, I want to say, because to be honest, it's all a blur. And to this day, I've really like, blo like at the time, it. I blocked so much of it out mm -hmm. that over the last just recently, I've tried to like go through that. But it's still honestly so blurry. But it was a few days at least that we were down at this hospital. And it was basically declared that um, he had lost just too much blood to his brain. So he wasn't um, going to be like he was just going to be in a vegetable state. Yeah. So it was really intense. Um, we had all of his friends, all of his family, all my friends had traveled down and uh, we had to like pull the plug in the hospital. Mm. Yeah. And you're about 16, 17 at that time? Yeah, about. It's, Man, that's rough. it's hard. And, uh, you know, emotion is one of those things that, like, I don't know if that's another even emotion on the emotional field. Like, when you lose someone that's close to you, because, like, Pete and I, we have, I've never lost anyone that close. It's been close, but I, I fortunately haven't. And it's a type of pain that I can't even imagine, but the way you deal with it, how everyone deals with it differently, there's no blueprint for it. There's no, like, hey... Someone can tell you to do this and it's not going to do anything for you, you know, and it's hard as a third party to, to give advice or even accept like or, or try to put em empathy, empathy to it because I have no clue. Um, but whenever I guess my question is, how long was it painful? And then at what point was it, you know, my dad is now fuel to my fire of life? It was actually a really. Yeah. So when it first happened. It was almost like um, I was given this like strength or like this blanket over me to like protect me during the immediate loss of him. I had all of his family there and like somehow I was able to like navigate the moments that had happened with like a lot of grace and um, basically it didn't really sink in. Like, yeah, it sank in when it happened. And obviously, like, I was experiencing it. But it wasn't till kind of like, I just, I can't explain it. It was like, I felt like, I don't know, somebody was helping me get through it, like, in the immediate stage. And then it was like, once that was over, and I was now having to, like, go through life without him, that I really, it hit me yeah. that, like, he wasn't here with yeah. me anymore, you yeah. know? And then kind of like you touched on, you know, especially when for a child, you're, you have no idea, you just develop these survival mechanisms. Um, and this way of coping with a loss such as that, 
And for me, it was like after the initial thing, I didn't want to feel like how heartbroken I was from losing him because he really was like a, like my hero in a lot of ways. Um, and so just like different ways. And as a kid, before it turned to drugs and alcohol, which we'll get into a little bit later, but um, it was just like throwing myself into like sports and just like being obsessed with that and just to get out of some of those feelings too. It was your outlet. Yeah, the outlet. Yeah. Yeah. At what point now, going back into your, you know, going into your senior year, uh, you had the stress fracture, then that healed, and then you go into that tail end of your season. Had you talked to St. John's at this point? What was that process like? So, yeah, so the back healed up, and I had basically my whole senior year was healthy for soccer and lacrosse. Um, and the St. John's offer came during my senior uh Oh, no, you know what? No, I'm wrong. So I went, um, I was going on official visits during the end of the fall of my senior year. So that summer after junior year, the whole summer was basically spent playing club. And so I'm playing at all tournaments in Maryland, Long Island, all over that had different events, um, invitational tournaments and um, put together tapes and coaches help get it out and stuff like that. So, yeah, um, the offers start coming in and going on official visits and evaluating schools. It was it was like wintertime when I locked yeah, in yeah. with St. John's. Um, really? Yeah. St. John's is where exactly? It's in Queens. So they, okay, have, yeah, they yeah. have campuses kind of all over, but the iconic campus that's like known for the Big East basketball mm -hmm. uh, lineage and all that is in Queens, Jamaica, Queens. That's awesome. Yeah. So it was like back back home almost for like, you know, because that's where you were born. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, now you go up to school. You finish your senior year, you go up to school. Was that a freeing feeling of going to college? Did you, did you feel the stress and pre pressure of being a D1 athlete? What was that experience like when you moved forward? It was like, honestly, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. Like, you go to school, like, it's everything you've worked for. You dream of playing at this next level, and you get there, and it is the next level. You know what I mean? So it was everything I was hoping for and had been preparing for. So it was really, it was really awesome. Um, and at this time, I was really super locked in my freshman year on just performing, man. It was tough again. You know what I mean? Like that jump, if I was like, like my skills were getting me by in high school. But when, when I made the jump to Division One, any like your, your weaknesses get exposed way faster. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? The game just moves so much faster. The players are better. So... Um, it just required even more dedication. Yeah. So, like, again, like, the story is just reinforcing, like, and it was always, like, looking back, it's such a blessing that I wasn't as talented naturally. As I look at other players that are talent, that were talented, more talented, and they actually were able to get by yeah. and off just that. And for me, that was never in the cards, yeah. and I knew that in my heart. And I also had this drive to just to be the best and to win and to just at first make a spot, you know what I mean? Like make the team, make like first line, second line. Um, so it was just more a story of just putting in work outside the practice field. So like the, the standard or the bare minimum we could say is like you have strength and conditioning, you have film, and then you have practice. So like just showing up to those things and being present and 
going as hard as you can during that, that's what's expected of you at that level. You know what I mean? And the way I was able to make a spot was everything I did outside of that, right? Like, so practicing after, knowing that my, my left hand, my weak hand was weak, not strong enough at all for this level. So just really spending time developing that, shooting. Um, and so that's that's You kind earned of, your spot. You earned it. And then, so you get start on, you got put on the starting team? The so starting um, I was in the mix. Like okay. I was getting some playing time. I was in the mix my freshman year competing for a starting spot. So they switched my position like the first week. Were you um, a midi? I was a, I was attack in high school. Okay. And so they switched me to midfield um before the actual season started it was like in the uh the winter block of the off season okay. um a freshman year and to be honest with you it was my natural position so once i made that change it was like um it was a better fit for me regardless. I can see you loving whacking motherfuckers. Yeah. 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 I mean just the just the, <laughs> the, the way physicality pretty scary. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh yeah i mean it's it's pretty damn fun. Like, yeah. if you if you have drive and competitive, like it's, I mean, so, so, all right, some things. So we weren't a very, a very talented team mm-hmm. in the scheme of like comparing us to all the other teams in our conference. Um, we were probably actually like the least talented team, which like fell right into like my story or whatever. Yeah. yeah, the narrative. So like we were just gritty um, and we were like the tougher team. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so one thing to point out is, um, me and my whole class and all the classes before me got recruited. One of the reasons why I went to St. John's is because the coach, Rick Soule, was like an up-and-coming coach that was a really um, good coach that I believed in. And like not even a week before we were reporting for school freshman year, we get this letter in the mail that he's resigning and going to Stony Brook. So the coach that recruited us, not going to be there. We get there and like, I don't even know if there was a head coach there yet. Like, I'm trying to remember, like, there wasn't even a head coach when we first showed up. Um, the vibe was off. Like, yeah, like we didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, and then the coach did show up uh, and, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't who I signed up to play for, but um, it, it is what it is. So anyway, like our whole group, like, he was uh, Coach Soul, the one that recruited us, was like recruiting athletes that he could groom. So we were a very athletic team, and there was only two rules in practice. The first one was that there are no rules. <laughs> the second one was that whatever happens on the field, you leave that shit on the field. And by the time you get back into the locker room, like, it's all love. Like, we're a family. Yeah. But... I mean, it was almost like a daily thing. Like, there was fights every day at practice. No shit. Yeah, for real. You dropping um, gloves? Uh, it was usually gloves and helmets on. Okay. Usually gloves and helmets on. That's smart. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a win-win. But I, I, I definitely got my shit rocked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> so, I'll just do a funny quick story because you never heard it. Uh, in high school, I was like... Five foot seven, two hundred and fifty pounds, and I played center on the offensive line. But my freshman year, the the varsity lacrosse team, which was supposedly supposed to win state, needed a backup goalie. So they said, "Nick, you ever play goalie?" I said, "Nah." They said, "All right, you want to get a state championship ring?" I said, "Hell yeah, I do." I said, "All right, come out." So literally every single practice, I'm not even. I don't even know how to throw a ball. Right, coming into the first game, I have the fat ass goalie net. I'm wearing like knee pads and shit. 
And um, that entire season, I never stepped onto the field until we are in our state semifinal game, right? And I'm chilling. Again, I don't even know where my helmet is, bro. I am in Wonderland, dude. <laughs> We're up uh, by 10 points, and uh, there's a huge swing. This other team comes back, right, gets the one, one shot. Up by 10, now you're down. Now, now you're up by one. One, correct. Okay. It's a nine-point swing. And uh, my goalie gets a fucking penalty. He comes out of the box and fucking rocks someone, right? Out of fucking nowhere. Gets a penalty, has to come off. They, they call me are. by my last name, my coach. My coach goes, Agnelli, like hoping I'm even on the sideline. Dude, I could be in the stands, all right? <laughs> I'm just straight chilling. And I fucking, I start fumbling around, and I'm like, oh, shit, I'm going in the game. Dude, I can't find my helmet for like two minutes. Yeah. The entire crowd is watching this go down. <laughs> I go in. I'm not even there for 10 seconds. This dude rips it on me. It's top net, but I, I always say the joke, like, I, like, acted after the fact like i was going for it i just barely missed it and there was no shot in hell and then we ended up getting destroyed in that game so um, but i hate lacrosse dude I, i'm actually scarred from that shit <laughs> ruin my fucking childhood dude anyways <laughs> they kept saying paul blart's in the net um but your experience at St. John's, uh, we've talked about athletically, you know, up to this point, and we're going to get to the ending of it athletically. But personally, in your social life, what was that like when you got to college? Were you partying a lot? Were you chilling? Was it all lacrosse? What was it like? Yeah, so it was definitely um, we were partying. Yeah. Uh, we were, we, <laughs> yeah, I party. Um, but, all right, so freshman year, I was really um, still very much in the mindset of, like, my main focus was lacrosse. Yeah. And I was very like locked in on my goal of making the team. So anyway, so as a part of uh, lacrosse, we had to do a certain amount of dedicated study hall hours. So I will say one thing, like St. John's had a really good student athlete support system. So within Carneseca Arena, which is the main complex for all the athletic teams, um, there was like a whole um, student athlete academic center. And we would go there and have, we'd swipe our card and have to log, I think it was like eight or 10 hours a week of study what? hall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they, they would, but if it wasn't for that, yeah. to be honest with you, I probably wouldn't have graduated. <laughs> so it like, they know that yeah. and they force you and facilitate you to, to be Sit in down. that. Yeah. yeah. Now yeah. half the time we'd be watching fucking movies and shit <laughs> on our laptops. Yeah. However, it's still was a good environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a place where we got shit done. So um, in addition to the study hall, they would also like, we had an academic advisor that would have like, like bi-weekly check-ins with all of our professors and they'd know ahead of time like how we're doing in classes. And as soon as you drop below a certain point, you now have mandatory like one-on-one -on -one tutoring oh, with uh, subject specific. But I mean, this is like, that's what's happening across yeah, yeah. the country to get athletes through the program yeah, yeah, yeah. because it is so demanding and so many hours physically and mentally that you have to give that if there wasn't that structure like most most kids wouldn't make it through or for um, some of these kids who are like it's literally i go to the league or i'm not you know or i don't care about college you yeah. know like some of these kids are literally like why am i even taking no nah, seriously you know? and at the time you don't even you don't you, you don't see it yeah to be honest i didn't really yeah. like i all i cared about all four years was lacrosse and it's kind of it's one of the only real regrets that I have is now looking back that I have like a passion for learning and I am very much engaged to just learn and I've realized the value in learning. Yeah. Um, I didn't have that then and I really just did the bare minimum 
to get through classes. Yeah. Um, but again, that's a part of the story. So yeah. anyway, right? So it was the first week. It feels like the first week, right, yeah, yeah. that I'm at school. But it was definitely like within the first a uh, couple months, right? Um, now, the team had a, a lot of older guys because the coach that didn't end up being the coach um, would recruit guys out of JUCO. So a lot of guys on the team when I was a freshman were like full-grown men <laughs> um, that I was like looking up to and getting my ass kicked by these guys every single day. So we're in study hall, and I don't even know how it was introduced, but basically there was um, – a big like opiate um, culture within the team. Um, I can't really speak on the other sports teams, but I know it wasn't as intense as ours. Like on our team, like the majority of the older guys, at least the core group that I was spending time with in the weight room, practicing extra and shit, they were taking these Percocets. And so we're in study hall and Percocet's a downer, correct? It's a it's an op it's a pain medication. Okay. So like, yeah, at first there's like a euphoric feeling, but then it's gonna like, depending on how much you take, it's gonna like relax you. But it's relaxing is like a tough word to, to even use to describe it. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a depressant. I'm pretty sure in that yeah, category. Yeah. So anyway, we're in study hall, and I buy one or he gives me one, throw it back. 20 minutes later, I'm not feeling anything. So I'm like, give me another, gives me another, take the second one. They both hit at the same time. And it was like the craziest feeling. Now at the time I had been like struggling with stress over this, uh, earning the spot. And I was like, kind of like I used to deal with restless leg and I just had some sleep issues. So I was like having issues sleeping. Right. And that night, after study hall, I was still, I was off these pills and like, I was so like, I felt so good and I got the best night's rest. I came out on the field the next day. I had like the best fucking practice ever. Everyone else that night went out and partied. I was just, I was just chilling off these pills and went to my room, got an early night's rest. So like my first experience was like completely misinterpreted. Like it was just like, I had no idea what I was getting into. And now looking back, I was also so naive about it. No clue. And so things didn't unravel right away for me my freshman year. It was like a thing like here or there. And a lot of times I would use it as like a little bit of an edge. Like I knew everyone was going out to party. I wouldn't party, but maybe I would just like take a Percocet in my dorm room and just chill and I would come out fresh the next day for like filmed scrimmages and stuff and everyone else was hung over. So it was like things like that once in a while. But um, when you, it's crazy because when you take like for me, I, it was, you know, Adderall, right? And, and that experience and that high. But when you take these drugs, I think the biggest transition is when you go from just receiving them to buying them. Like when you make that transition of like, yo, I'll take a perk of one of my boys, give it to me, to finding the guy who's selling him and starting to contact them directly. And like that was it for me. Like when I started reaching out now and saying like, yo, can I buy some? That was a transition for me where I was like, I was fucked, you know, and, and it, I'm locked in now, you know, because now I'm literally paying for this. For you, what was the switch where it was like, okay, this is maybe becoming a problem? So the first time I was physically dependent, um, it was like on and off, just like using them casually until my junior year in college. And that was the first time that I bought like a bunch of them 
at once, um, like a bigger quantity. And I don't know, I probably bought like 30 pills, something like that. And um, when those ran out, I forget how many weeks it lasted or whatever, but when those ran out and the very first day I realized, shit, I'm like, I like, I'm physically dependent on these things. Like I need to get my hands on some of these, like, and I'm making calls and I can't get it. And I'm feeling my body's feeling weird because this substance that it's used to having in my bloodstream basically every day is now absent. And like, that was the first time I was physically dependent. And from there, my junior year in college, I was basically using them full time through, uh, until I ended up getting clean, um, okay. which we can get into. But it was really, yeah, it was wild, man. So like my whole, so, all right. So now here's how things escalate, right? So like addiction and my use of these pills. So it actually like progressed from these regular perk tens or whatever to Roxy's. Mm -hmm. And at the time, like Roxy's were all over the city like a lot of guys on my team were using them. Roxy's a blue. That's the same yeah, thing. Yeah, the blue. Yeah, 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 yeah okay. exactly. Um, Thirty milligrams, uh, but without the Tylenol. So, basically, that's it. Transitioned to those, um, and that was like the beginning of like my disappointment in myself and that process. Um, I was still applying myself like fully to this experience with lacrosse and stuff. But uh, I had um, money from my dad's life insurance policy that was paying for my room and board and other things that my scholarship wasn't paying for. And so I was using this money to feed this addiction. And I wasn't like, I was always downplaying it like to my immediate friends. Like the, a lot of the guys I was using with on the team were older, but like my, my immediate friends, like my best friends and my, like my brothers that were in my class, I never wanted them to know the extent, right? So I'm making these moves off to the side and I'm sneaking around and shit and just like not being like solid and, and honest with them about like the life I was living off rip. That, that just didn't feel like me, yeah. right? So I didn't like that. And then one day... As I'm, as I'm like making these plays to get the pills, I'm taking out this money from the ATM and I'm like, I just realized, I just had this like revelation, like, fuck man, like if I ever want to, like if I'm holding on to this idea that one day I'm going to see my dad again in heaven or whatever, because at the time, like I didn't even really know what I believed, but I'm like, if I'm going to hold on to this thought that I'll see him again, I also have to accept the fact that when I'm hiding from everyone else in the world, he can see the shit that I'm doing right now. Yeah. And I'm taking his hard-earned money that he spent to like make sure that I could go to college and had life insurance and all this shit, and I'm spending it on these pills. And from that moment on, there wasn't a single time that like I ever got high that I didn't think about that shit first. And it was just like the worst that it got, and it did get worse like quickly, which um, we'll, I'll, I'll touch on. It was like, like this experience where I'm like feeling this like massive like depression or like disappointment in myself. And then I'm immediately running from that feeling and trying to like drown it out in the drugs, mm -hmm. right? And that was, um, that started like um, 
junior, senior year in college and uh, just like progressively got worse. Like my relationship with these pills um, got worse pretty quick and I had a real problem like my senior year, I couldn't stop using them. And that was the first time it went from like, all right, I can feel my body's like physically dependent on these drugs. Like my junior year, like I don't like this, I'm realizing to my senior year when I was like, nah, like you've got a real problem. Like, you know, I knew that I was addicted to these things. I knew I wasn't ready at that point to stop using them, but I knew this isn't like, this didn't feel right. And I was, I was hooked on them. You're using them every day. Yeah. Every day. While still playing lacrosse. Yeah. And it was crazy. Like I would, um, man, shit was so crazy. So I would, my senior year, I had this whole routine, right? Where I knew there was something about, we would take pre-workout before games and like regular supplements. Like at the time it was just NO Explode. Yeah. We were taking NO Explode before the game. Just normal shit, you know? Classic. Yeah. Is um, NO Explode the one that got, which that one? Was got, no, that was Jack 3D. Yeah, yeah, Jack yeah, 3D, yeah, like, hold on. Like yeah. the original Jack. <laughs> original Jacked was it a, was was some shit. That was like the OG for Loco. Well, I saw this, <laughs> I saw this meme the other day, I was dying, and they're like, cocaine guys got real, real slick and started putting cocaine in pre-workout cans and they shipped them across the border. And literally that's maybe what it was. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. Um that was insane. But you're getting to so you mixed a pre workout with yeah so we were, I was, we were taking NO explode and um we played uh my senior year I played the University of Vermont and I was using Roxy's till like late at night the night before so this was this is like the first time I discovered this right and um it wasn't planned it wasn't intentional but I was taking Roxy's till like I don't know like. 1 a.m. or something like that. And at this point, you're taking like more than one a day? Yeah, I was probably taking that night. I probably took like three or four. Um, yeah. So taking these pills, whatever, next day, play University of Vermont. Um, something about the combination of the remnants of the drugs in my system still. It was like an afternoon game or like uh, noon, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the NO explode. There was no fatigue like that no was an way. impossible thing to feel. Like I would do like the wildest run where I'm like on offense, get caught on defense, go back on offense, back to defense, where like I'm destroyed. Superman. And I'm I get off the field and I'm like breathe like I'm like yeah. like hurting, but within like seconds I'm recovered and mm-hmm. I just had this like feeling like I was possessed, like I was really on some shit mm-hmm. that game. <laughs> and after that, I'm now trying to like replicate that kind right. of fucking performance and just just dumb shit like that. So um, I mean I was going to ask you if taking the drugs was like affecting you as an athlete, but it almost sounds like you would kind of justify that it was affecting you in a positive way in your mind at the time. No, nah, like it was I was like like that game it had like a random positive experience, but overall, no, it wasn't yeah. at all good. And it wasn't uh it only had a negative impact. Yeah. But that one particular game yeah. <laughs> was wild. Yeah. And we and we and I had like one of the best games of my season. Like I was like on like I couldn't be stopped. And then you were just trying to replicate that. Yeah, pretty that. much. But when he said that, the first thing is like the next game you're rooming with Garrett and like twelve o'clock his alarm goes off at night and <laughs> he just hits it. We were like, all on that though. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're I probably, mean we yeah, were, yeah, we were yeah. all like at like the truth is like we would be traveling to Penn State to wherever and it was just like a thing. We all had pills. It was just the culture um, on the team, very sadly, and it really sucks because a lot of, like, I have friends that are still 10 years later 
really, you know, there's they can't beat it. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, luckily, a lot of my friends have gotten out of the grips of it. Um, but it's really wild because um, it was like more than half the team. Yeah. Bring me to rock bottom. What, what was the oh fuck moment? Yeah. So, all right. So four years of college lacrosse. Um, at the end of those four years, I had one more semester of classes to complete um, before I could graduate, but no lacrosse. So I'm in Queens. The majority of all my friends graduated. They're not on campus. And I'm just trying to finish these credits or whatever. Um, and shit, without lacrosse, which was my purpose, like I still had my purpose through all the struggle. You know what I mean? Throughout the four years, like I had, you know, struggling with facing the fact that I lost my father, you know, all this shit, uh, an addiction that was unraveling. But through it all, I was I was able to, like, keep my head above water because I had my purpose and I had my goal to work towards. Once lacrosse was removed from the equation, immediately it fucking like completely unraveled. Um, at that point, I didn't have my scholarship money, um, and I didn't have, there was no more money from the life insurance, so really? I blew through all that. Like, um, there was legitimate spending of that money towards stuff, but it was a lot of it I just blew through, and I knew how to manipulate, how to get money from the custodian of the account, which was my uncle or whatever. Um, so anyway, now I have no money. Not to jump in, but during this time, right, building up to rock bottom, you sound like you're pretty close with your family and tight friends. I'm not even saying like you're trying to fake it. You're telling me no one even noticed that your personality was different, the way you were handling things were different. No one called nah, you out. People knew like, uh, yeah, so people people knew to an extent, but it was um, it hadn't fully unraveled. Like I was okay. like, if you know, like, so I was just trying to like keep everything together, like at the minimum, like a bare minimum, keep it together type thing. Yeah. Um, but the thing is like the use during the years where I was playing lacrosse, like we were training, like I was getting up at 6am, we were training, then we had a full day of classes, then we would report, go to film, three hour practice, go to study hall. So it was like, um, we were in, we were yeah. locked in, like I was still like doing my part on all that. But the more the the story unfolds like a lot of stories with addiction it contin it's progressive basically bottom line and so the second that i like i had been holding it together although it was progressing the second i lost the lacrosse and my purpose then it was just exponential and it just was like falling off a cliff so it was in a in a 3 month period right it's just a story of um you know doing all the wrong things for money um, and, uh, you know, like I won't get into the details exactly, but like every, everything you could probably think of, you know what I mean? And I'm running with all the wrong people. Um, you know, it was your identity at the time, you know, like you, you, it was, you survival, it was, no, it was survival mode. Yeah. Like it was straight up survival mode. Like, and it was like, at that point it was like that the, like the only thing that I was really like. I was so like it had it had such a grip on me that it was the only thing I was like 
could like, I was just working every day just to get high. Like that was like the only thing to, to survive at the time. Right. And just so like the shit I was having to do like every day to like make, keep this habit going was just like getting harder and harder and more intense. And then you like start like fucking people over and getting crossed with the wrong people. And it just, it's bad, man. Yeah. So anyway, now you fast forward the story. Um, like, yeah, like my family is starting to know something's not right. My mom knew for a while I had been struggling with this. Um, she had seen certain things at like family events or whatever. And I'm like nodding off and I'm not myself and stuff. So like there's this under un, like a, a known thing that I'm like, I have this issue. But of course, like I'm minimizing it and I'm like pushing it aside. I'm like telling her, no, it's fine. Right. So. So anyway, I have my first situation where um, I'm supposed to come home for something and things are getting really bad. Like I had this girlfriend at the time in college and um, like for like multiple reasons, like she basically like ends it um, and I'm staying in this like room for rent where like all these other people are like living in this house and like I got all my shit in this bag and I'm like, failing all my classes, you know what I mean? And now like, I'm really feeling low. Um, and that was the beginning of, uh, of like a one and a half, two year period of my life where I was try uh, for the first time, switch my mindset that I was gonna try to stop using these things, okay? So that was the first time where I was like, it wasn't rock bottom yet, but I was like, it was a, the shift in my mind from like, no, nah, like I, I know it's not right, but I'm going to keep using and I'm going to keep doing what I have to to keep it going to I want to stop and I'm going to try to. Right. And uh, it was a two year process, man, of never being able to string together more than a week, man, and just failing over and over and over again. And like like having this stance of like being on Suboxone, which is a drug that blocks the receptor and stuff like that, but you're not really clean. Um, it's just like, uh, it stops the withdrawals from happening and things like that. So what would happen was I'd be on the Suboxone. Um, I would very quickly, like things get, you get so beaten down spiritually and mentally when you try to quit. Even like, think about this, right? Like, two months where you try to quit. It's your only objective. Okay. All you're focused on is getting off of these fucking drugs. And just for a period of 60 days, it's like three days relapse, four days relapse, one day. Like that's only 60 days. That's not even that long, but that alone can really put you down uh, mentally. And then just compound that over, a long time. So then I would just kind of say, fuck it. And I'd go onto the Suboxone and that will allow you to kind of like stabilize a little bit. Like you can quickly like get a job and like throughout this whole thing, like I always knew how to operate shit and like very easily like go lace an interview, get a job. I'm on Suboxone. I'm working in Manhattan now and I'm quickly like even blunted with all that. Like my self was able to shine through a little bit at like 30%. So you like start to excel again. You, people are like gravitating towards you. You're succeeding in this business or whatever, like whatever job I had at the time. And then 
like all it takes is like stop taking the suboxone or like you have it in your head like yeah i'm gonna stop taking it or you run out or something and then before you know it you're on another run so like in my opinion like the suboxone is just a tool to be used to like stabilize somebody who's in a real crisis um but it's for like it's not something that you could really change your life if you're like still leaning on that question when you had all these ups and downs right in in two weeks two months one week and you were consistent what would that little voice inside your head usually say to get you to jump back like what was you know typically in my brain like when it came to food it was like dude you did really good like you know keep it up bro or like you've gone long enough bro you could have a cheat meal and you're not going to go back you know you just won and and so for me, what was uh, for you? What was that little voice in your head that would get you just to jump back and, and make the call? Man, it was usually like the third, like fourth night of not sleeping. Really? Like that was like the main thing I struggled with. Is like I would mentally be like so determined to beat it this time. You know what I mean? And like, but I already struggled with sleep um, before drugs came into the picture and like chemical balances in your body and stuff. So when it was really the sleep deprivation that was usually my breaking point. Mm-hmm. Like, like this feeling, I, so the chemicals are off. Like when you take this substance for so long, your body's used to having this amount of whatever in your body. When it's removed abruptly, you feel like the, the withdrawals from opiates, man, it's like, it's like the most horrible feeling I could describe, yeah. to be honest with you. Like definitely the most horrible feeling I went through in my life. Um, and so that... During the day, you can keep your mind occupied. You know, I'd run, I'd be reading, I'd like do different shit. But at night, first night, no sleep. Second night, no sleep. Third, that's usually what what was the kicker. When you're at that point of like being desperate for money and doing anything to to feed the addiction, like how expensive of an addiction was it every day? Um, like you 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 get what you can. Um, and like some days, like towards the end, right. It's like, I'm like scrapping This is like, I mean, my story took me to like a really bad place. So like, like past where I'm telling you guys of like trying to quit, um, the story, my story led me to harder shit that once it hit that it was over, like whatever ledge was left, I was like off that shit. And once that once that was my reality, like you didn't think it could get worse. And then it's like you're in a living hell. You know what I'm saying? And then now the thoughts of like, damn, my dad can see me doing this. Like when like that was like the, I'm really keeping a secret to the world. OK, like I'm not allowing anybody to know this is going on. You know what I mean? Because they wouldn't believe it. They'd be heartbroken. And everyone was at this point. You know what I mean? So now the secret is out. You know, everyone knows. They don't know the extent, but the, what they do know is that, like, like, yeah, like it's like a tragic story because, like, it got, it got G. Like, he's bad. You know what I mean? And so, like, every anyone that you don't push away wants nothing to do with you. Um, and so, whether it's ten dollars, like you're scrapping ten dollars together, or you hit something bigger and you have a couple hundred, you know what I mean? It's like. It's like really whatever it is. So when I realize, right, at a certain point, I'm living in the city. I can't afford my portion of the rent with all my best friends from the city. So we, I subleased my portion. I was sleeping on the couch. And this was probably like one step 
before like I was like homeless. And like, this is in between like how quickly things can fall apart between like being on Suboxone and having that Band-Aid hold you up and that crutch to like not and like falling into that next category of where the disease can take you. Um, but there was um, this homeless guy that I connected with in this park in New York City. His name was Ed. And every day I knew that he could make like 150 to $200 just bartering in this particular area. And he was a regular guy. He had a family at one point. He was an elevator technician in a union in Manhattan, so he was making good money. He got injured and he got hooked on these opiates um, after the work injury and his life fell apart from being this family man, house in New Jersey, all this shit, to living in the park, right? Um, begging for money every day. And towards the tail end, when I only had $10 and I couldn't go to the, to the normal guy that I would go to, I would go see this guy, Ed, and I would find him. Some days it would take me a couple of hours just to find him in the park. Um, and I was like this fucking close at the end to like accepting like, yo, I'm headed to where this man is. Mm -hmm. And the, I was like so beaten down and like defeated from like trying over the course of years and like not being able to quit that I was like literally this fucking close to accepting that of going the Ed route, okay? And in these final moments, in these final weeks or whatever, before things changed, it, it's like I was so like I was like, I couldn't even recognize myself and I couldn't even believe that this is where life took me and this is where I was. Like, this was my situation. Like, regardless of how we got here, how naive I was, how, you know, um, innocent it started, like, this is my fucking reality, right? And It's really hard to even believe this shit. Like, it's like, it was like so fucked, man, um, that I can't imagine getting lower. Like, I can't imagine being any lower than I was. So anyway, um, I, uh, I was in the process. I was in an outpatient program in New York City, and I was really trying to keep it together, but I was still struggling, right? And uh, things, one thing led to another, and... Um, I like, it was my brother's graduation from high school, and I mean, I can't really tell the story because it's too long, but long story short, like at the, like I was just like showing them that I was like pulling something together, and like, it was like everyone was flying in for his graduation, and it was his moment and shit, and like I betrayed my mom's trust and like fucked up a, a, one more big time and relapsed, and everyone's flying in for the graduation. And I just was like, it was at that moment that I was like so ashamed that I couldn't even fucking stay clean for my brother's birthday that I called this place that like I had kind of like heard about called the Carrier Clinic in New Jersey. And um, I like went to my mom, like had to admit what I did or whatever. Um, and she couldn't even like mentally deal with it at the time because she needed to focus on my brother. But she went and dropped me off at this place. And that was like my the start of my whole comeback story. Um, I missed my brother's graduation from high school. I'm in there, checked myself in. It was a detox. Um, so I did like a week 
in this detox center in New Jersey. And um, funny story. So at the end of it, they're asking you, they're like evaluating you on terms of like next steps. And you have like this temporary counselor or whatever. And I was pretty willing for the first time. And what was crazy was like, I'm in this, I'm in this facility. And for the first time, I'm hearing these other people that are like my age and like, you, you force yourself, or I'll say me, like I forced myself into such a life of isolation during that time. Like you're like isolating yourself and you're lying to everybody and you're like not letting anybody in that when I was in this spot and I'm hearing just other people were going through this shit, it was just like a weight lifted off my shoulders to hear that you're not alone. Because yeah. you just, I like, I felt so alone going through all that shit because I was so, so ashamed. I didn't even, wasn't using with anybody. It was just me, you know? So from there... I'm looking at the brochures in the counselor's office. There's this one brochure. It's like uh, not a 12-step program. Mm -hmm. And it's like holistic. And there's like ping pong tables and the photos and shit. It's right on the beach. I'm like, yeah, this is where I'm. This is like I handed to him. I'm like, yeah, let's check this one out. And like the next day is like, yeah, like your insurance not accepted here. Blah, 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 right? So I'm like, they're like, here's this other place. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's kind of like an intense type thing. But if you're serious about this, um, you know, this is where I would recommend you to go and your insurance is accepted there. So at the time, like, you're still battling with this fucking disease, but um, you're, like, willing enough. Like, at the time, it was more so, like, all right, like, I got to at least show them. It's like it doesn't all happen at one moment, right? But you just take the next step. And for me, that next step was going to the to the rehab in Florida. So I come, they, my my, my mom, my aunt, and my grandfather picked me up from the uh, detox. Now, my grandfather had years clean at the time, years sober from NAA. And my aunt also had some time in AA. So they all come and pick me up and they drop me off at the airport. Um, I land in this 30-day uh, program. And really, like, the first magical moments for me happened in this 30-day program here in Florida when I came down here. And it was... Um, this woman that was my, uh, like the therapist there, um, she was just so, her name was Sue. Shout out to Sue. Shout out to Um, she was so like genuine and it was like this moment, like you just could feel that like she really cared. She like saw my potential. It was like, she saw my potential and really like, I felt like she wanted me to win. And any recommendation she made for me, I, for, and she was, I'll say this, and I tell this, every time I tell the story, I said, she was the first um, adult or like other person that I had really respected in a while. So at, during this process, she's giving me recommendations. And for whatever reason, I'm like taking them, like, I'm, like they're falling on like open ears for the first time in a long time, right? And so I'm starting to like come into myself again. I'm starting to like, I'm getting like a couple weeks now without these drugs in my system. And I'm like crying myself to sleep every night. I'm still completely overwhelmed on how I'm going to make all this happen, right? Make it up to my family, make up for the lost time, like the laundry list of things. But I'm getting these glimpses every day of feeling like myself. And, uh, and I remember there was a moment where we were, in the, we were in a session, it was a group session, and the, and the person leading the session, the counselor, was like, listen, uh, there's 26 of you in this room, and statistically, the hard truth 
is that only two of you are going to make it. And right when they said that, everyone in the room turned and fucking looked at me. And they all were like, yo, like, it was like, you're going to make it. And it was at that moment I realized, like, I, like I have to make this happen yeah. right now. Like, this is, my this is my moment and my opportunity that I've been praying for for the past years. I was in it. I had the world of challenge ahead of me. I'm in this, this, this rehab center. But it was at that moment when everyone looked and I realized, yo, like I'm about to take this shit as far as it, can, like, as far as it goes. Was it almost like a competitive switch turned on in you? Like that, that, that will to win or that, that will to be the two that make it out? Or like what was it? Kinda, it was like almost more like a calling. Yeah. It was like a realization. Like this is your moment. You know what I mean? And once it wasn't any debate in my mind. Like yeah. once I felt that, I knew it's almost crazy. I knew in that fucking moment I'd be, I didn't know where I was going to take it, but I knew I was going to be one of the two. Yeah. And um, man, from there, it's just a wild story of completely starting over and um, having every problem you could have. You know what I mean? I had legal issues in New York City um, from the tail end of shit. Um, I had debt. I had issues with the IRS. Um, I had credit card debt that went into collection. I had nothing but a past of broken relationships and people that I let down. And it's like you feel so low still. You know what I mean? You're like here in this rehab and all your friends are succeeding. You know what I mean? Like my friends are so talented and so inspiring that like they're all doing their fucking thing. You know what I mean? Like and like I was supposed to be the person like I was the leader. I was the one that was supposed to make it for my town, for my group. And like instead, while they're all, you know, living their purpose I'm here in a fucking drug rehab, you know, no cell phone privileges, getting bussed to a fucking, my only time I'm leaving the, 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 the property is going to an AA meeting or an NA meeting that they drive you to. So it's literally like feeling like you have the impossible ahead of you, but also feeling like, yo, no matter what it fucking takes, I'm about to fucking, I'm, I'm going to do this right now. And so... Now, fast forward, Sue, the same woman, she on my, I'm like, she knows like I'm now I'm like feeling myself a little bit. I'm coming back to myself. I'm like, she's like a little worried about that. And she really was like, I really don't think it's a good idea for you to go back to New Jersey um, or, or New York. She's like, I really, my wish for you, my one wish for you is to go just, you don't have to put a time limit on it, but just take this next step and go to the halfway house. So... The way she said it, like I already had my mind completely fucking made up. I was going back home. And, but the way she said it to me, I couldn't let her down in that moment. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I guess we're going to the halfway house. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I got picked up, go to this halfway house in Wellington. And um, man, the, that whole experience was fucking crazy. Okay. The halfway house circuit is like, I always describe it like this, like picture summer camp, high school, and uh, what the fuck is the third thing? Like a reality TV show. Okay. Okay. All wrapped in one. And adults <laughs> that have, adults that 
never matured. Yeah. And have the just the fucking wildest personality conflicts and no one's taking ownership yeah. for anything and it's just fucking madness. All right. <laughs> so it's um just the next chapter, you know what I mean? Of uh just feeling like just like still like you got the world ahead like you just can't comprehend how you're gonna make everything right. You know what I mean? Like still like every single moment you're holding this like weight on your shoulders that you just let everybody down in your life and you still like, how are you going to do it? Right. And like, so anyway, I'll tell you the pivotal point for me. Um, I was at this point where like, okay, so the first day, first I got to tell this quick story. So the first day I get out of rehab, right. Um, she says, listen, here's what I want you to do. You're going to get out. You're going to feel like what the fuck, you know, you're going to have your phone again. You're going to be like somewhat freedom and it's going to feel fucking weird and wild. You're not going to, you're going to maybe have thoughts of using whatever the fuck it is. Right? So she's like, I want you to go to a meeting. I want you to raise your hand and just share that you just got out of rehab and whatever else you want to share after that, just say that, but you just let everybody know that you got out. Right? So I show up to this meeting. I'm like, fuck this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want, I'm feeling uncomfortable. Um, but I'm like, again, I can't let Sue down. You know what I mean? I told Sue I would do this. Sue's my girl. She really is. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so I raise my hand and like I'm fighting through this sentence and I'm like, I just say it. I'm like, listen, I just got out of, uh, no, what I said was, I just got out of recovery. Now that's not the term. That yeah. like I'm, You know what I mean? So everyone's kind of like laughs at me a little bit and then they're like, all right, you're in the right spot, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> meeting ends and I'm like, fucking book it out of this place at the old Wellington mall. Right. Oh. And we're, I'm walking down this hallway of retail graveyards that are like closed. And I see the distance. I'm like trying to get to the exit. Um, and I'm almost at the fucking exit. Right. And this guy yells to me and I like hear him like, nah, like, please don't let him be talking to me. You know what I mean? And he's like chasing me down. And he, he chases me down. He's like kind of breathing heavy because he's literally like jogging because he knew I was going to book it. Yeah. And he's like, he looks at me with this smile, man. Um, and he said, he said to me, he was like, he was like, buddy boy. He was like, perfect, man. He's just <laughs> looking at me. He's like, yo, perfect, yeah. man. And he's like, my name's Ed. Um, get out of here. Like, he was like, here's my number or whatever. Like, which can I get your number? And um, this guy put me into the middle of the pack. He didn't really like his whole thing. He ended up becoming my sponsor, my sponsor to this day. And um, now it's just more of like a, a relationship and like a friendship. But um, he'll always be my sponsor. But uh, he was came from a different style of recovery, man. There's a lot of different styles of recovery down here. And um, like I'm so grateful to fall into that one. It was an old school one where it was really just all about helping each other and helping others. It was more about the principles than it was about the steps. It still was about the steps, but it was way more about the principles. And specifically, it was about helping the next person that was suffering with this disease or whatever. Yeah. And so he had this he had this term called middle of the herd. And when the animals are navigating through the Serengeti, the weakest animals, the elderly and the injured go into the middle and all the stronger uh, members of the herd go around it and that's how they navigate through. 
And he would say, like, listen, the ones that get hit, that get picked off by the hyenas are the ones that fall behind or they stray out of the pack. But if you move with the herd, and especially if you put yourself in the middle, you can stay safe as you navigate through all this stuff. And so long story short, that was the first like big story. Um, second real quick story of that was the other big turning point for me. And this is a really important one in the whole, in the whole story. So like you're in here, we're living in the halfway house. I got a couple months under my belt and um, I would be getting together with my sponsor and I would tell him, listen, like opiates was really the issue. I still plan like most likely at this time, like when I eventually, when I get shit settled, get things back going, like drinking mm-hmm. or smoking mm-hmm. weed occasionally, mm-hmm. like just so you know, I want you to know so you don't invest too much right now that like that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah. And he would just smile and be like, perfect. You know what I mean? Like, I'll see you same time tomorrow or whatever. And so that's one thing. Like other styles of recovery would have like fucking came down with the hammer. You know what I mean? And all he said was like, beautiful, man. Like, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, perfect. Like you're yeah. and so it was never like that hard style. So anyway. We're hanging out, and um, this is my first situation where I was like, had my first situation where I was gonna like thinking about using. I hadn't thought about using, um, but we were hanging out with these girls. How long are you sober at this point? It was probably like ninety days, um, and uh, we were hanging. It was me and my buddy, and we're hanging out with these two girls from his from his job. He had just gotten a job at uh, Cheddar's. On 441, okay. yeah, yeah. right? He's a server at Cheddar's. Cheddar two, slaps. Cheddar's, it it kind of did. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So these two girls that were servers at Cheddar's, right? <laughs> it's me and my boy Brett and these two chicks from Cheddar's. So we're hanging out. Her mom's out of town or whatever. And um, they're playing beer pong. And me and Brett are just drinking water, mm-hmm. right? So I'm like, we're both like this fucking close to like drinking. And somehow we make it through the night without drinking. But it was like after that experience, like I was very close to drinking. Um, and I had like that last night was fun. We were hanging out with these girls or whatever. Um, it reminded me of like whatever. And so that story is playing in my mind, right? It was the very next day. I show up to the same meeting that I usually go to. Now, one of the promises that I made to Sue is I was going to do a 90 and 90. And that's when you do 90 meetings in in 90 days. You consecutively string 90 together. And if you miss one, you start over, right? So I'm in the the tail end of my 90 and 90. So that's how it was like just approaching that 90 days. So I'm in this meeting and it happened to be an anniversary meeting. And the format of an anniversary meeting is you're celebrating everybody's like uh, anniversaries of one year plus. And one of the members of the quote unquote herd at the time um, was celebrating two years and it goes first like a year, two years, whatever. Then it goes up to the highest clean, clean time. So he was like one of the first people to go Mm -hmm. and giving him this medallion, this recovery medallion was his daughter and she was a high school student. And this was a packed room because anniversary meetings, everybody's family comes to celebrate, blah, blah, blah. So it was like fucking packed in the old Wellington Mall, right? She's terrified. And she gets up in front of this huge group. And it takes her like 30 seconds of raw silence to 
compose herself. And that 30 seconds felt more like minutes when she finally like gathers the strength to start speaking. And you could just tell how intimidated and scared and nervous she was. Um, from the moment she started talking and giving her father this medallion, she's saying how she's just the emotion behind what she was saying was just the realest shit I, I had heard since getting clean or maybe in years. And she's like explaining how much it meant to her and how nothing from the past mattered because it made him a better person and how close the family's become in this two years, how grateful she is to have him back in her life. And as she continues on with this, this you know, passing, you know, the celebration of this time, I'm in my head thinking to myself, every single thing that she's saying right now is anything I could possibly wish for my brother to tell me my little brother, yeah. who I had really been struggling with, feeling like out of all the people in the world, I really let him down, like him and my mom. And like, especially since like my dad passing, like I was so disappointed in myself for the example that I had set, for missing his graduation, from like not being there for him. And just like, it, it would eat me up every single night. Like there was damn near not a night I would go to sleep without crying myself to sleep yeah. over like, just like being so let down that like I wasn't the person I knew I was supposed to be. So as this as this as this girl is giving her dad this you know this coin or whatever and like saying all this stuff to him, I'm crying, thinking to myself like, yo, like this is all I want. Like this is this is real. The, and from that moment, I've I haven't had the. Uh, from that fucking moment in that room, I haven't had the like obsession or like urge to use. Yeah. That was that was that was over ten years ago. Wow. Um, yeah, and That's, there's ups and downs. Yeah, of course. You got to deal with life, but that moment changed my whole fucking life. Wow. And to think that the night before I was like this fucking close to drinking, and who knows if I drank, I probably wouldn't have showed up at that fucking meeting. But I got through that one night. And I heard that. And so there's these like bullshit sayings that you'll hear. It's like, don't quit before the miracle happens. But like watching that experience from that girl speak to her father, like changed my life. And from that moment on, I went from having like one foot in, one foot out to like saying, you know what? What the fuck do I have to lose, man? Let me give this a shot. Yeah. Put two feet in this thing. And so I, I actually went all in. And that became like the saying that we that that was like this theme of like the next like two years is like yo we're all in, yeah. you know. And we went all in, and that's this that's how things started changing, man. That's, yeah, that's awesome, dude. Congratulations, uh, it's amazing, man. I see a lot of similarities with my personality and yours because I'm either all in, yeah. Like I'm I'm, eating, I'm you know I'm having a bad eating day. I'm eating ten thousand calories, or I'm addicted to Adderall. I'm taking seventy milligrams a day, or you know. Or if it's all in in a good way, you know, I'm producing or I'm, I'm attacking this goal with so much uh, velocity. And um, I don't know if you ever put the symbolism together. I'm sure you have. But when you were at your lowest low, something you were looking at as like a symbol was Ed. And when you jump back, your, your uh, sponsor was Ed. And it's like wow. right there in front of you, bro, were your two choices. Mm. Right there in front of you were this Ed is this life. And this Ed is this life. 
and the sim- symbolism behind that in which ed you choose to have your sponsor to me that's like i don't know what the universe is man but there's something going on because that is just crazy to me you know yeah. and these symbolisms between like you go into this meeting when you didn't really think you needed to but you went regardless because you followed the program and and this person hit your heartstrings like sometimes it's the weirdest thing that hit your heartstrings something that came out of left field and and you didn't think you were going to react that way um and then look where you are now you know so the way you poetically say your story is amazing man because really you 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 show and lay out all the little details of what the struggle is if you were to go back and and sit down on a bench in the park with Garrett that was going to try find Ed and you had one sentence to tell that Garrett what would you tell him don't give up just keep fighting yeah you just can't give up man so no matter, no matter how close you come, just don't give up on yourself. Yeah. Because I don't know God, the universe, like, but you're gonna, you may have a moment that somebody just helps you, then it's really on you to take that opportunity and make it happen. Yeah. But no matter what, just don't give up. Because okay. I've seen a lot of people in this, with this disease give yeah. up. And, I don't know if you ever heard of the guy, Ed Milet. He wrote a book called Go One More. Um, and uh, his dad was an alcoholic, right? And he tried to quit several times in this, in this kid named, this guy named Ed's adolescence. For 10 years straight, until he was 10 years old, would go to recovery, then back on it, recovery, back on it. And finally, he was driving with his dad in his truck, and the dad started crying. And uh, he told his son he's going to go back to rehab. And he said, all right, Dad, well, what's going to be different this time? And he goes, this is it. If I don't do it this time, your mom's you know, going to leave me. Um, and he went to the rehab, and he got out. And the first question, he says, Dad, are you going to stay clean? And Dad goes, I'm going to stay clean one more day. Mm. And that's every day he woke up, he'd ask his dad, I'm going to stay clean one more day. And that's kind of the message. He never knew this until his dad passed two years ago, but, and his dad never told anyone. But he went out and sponsored hundreds of people. And when his dad was on his, on his last breaths that day, so many people reaching out because he had been their sponsor for over 20, 30 years. Yeah. And one common rhythm is when these people were have those bad days, right, where you call your sponsor, you're like, man, I don't know what the fuck to do. But, like, I only see one option. It's not good. He'd tell them, he said, listen, man, I don't know what you're going through, but just give me one more day. Yeah. Finish today. And when tomorrow when you wake up, just do one more day, man. And so uh, until the last days his dad was around, it was just one more, you know. And uh, I think if a lot of people take that um, without something tragic happening and maybe try to fulfill it into your life. Um, so, you know, listen, I'm going to jump on this diet just one more day. I'm going to do it. Or, or I'm going to study for this one more day. Or I'm going to be a good husband or good partner one more day and continue that. Over time, that matures into something. You know, and look where the fuck you are, man. I mean, like, it, to sit back and, and realize that it's now been 10 years of one more days. Um, and and, and it, it, I just feel the ambiance of what your soul has now. And uh, it's just wisdom, man. You know, and it's just experience and it's empathy and it's everything. Because you understand people's struggles. You know, you understand that the guy over there just walking in the park might be dealing with some shit. 
Yeah. You know, and to treat everyone with respect and love. And I'm sure because the, the, the way you said it in your narrative, you've given back and you've helped out a shit ton too, right? So now you're trying to give back what you were, what you were given. And um, it's amazing, man. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm baffled by it. Now, you start to get your swagger back. You know, Garrett's hitting the streets and he's a new man now, you know. What were your steps in life as far as, like, even socially staying clean? Like, did you go to bars? Were you just sitting in your room all night? Like, what, what was kind of your whole encompass of your life? Yeah, so, like, again, like, just blessed to have them. In, like, some people, it's sad because some people, they don't get out there and they don't, they don't really live. You know what I mean? Because they feel like um, they're in a sentence. Like, they can't drink or they can't smoke. It's like these words can't. But um, for me... We were always like, it was like, no, listen, what we do, like, so, all right, so early on in the recovery phases, like, it was very, like, my sponsor was like, really, it was important to him that I knew that, listen, what we do here is so that we could go out into the world and live, right? So um, there was never any, like, yeah, it's probably not a good idea to, like, hang out in the bar every night, like, during my first, like, 90 days clean. However, there was never any restrictions. It yeah. was like, nah, like you need to be, go live, yeah. go live life. Cause that's why we got clean. You know yeah. what I mean? So anyway, the progression, man, this is where the story really starts. Yeah. Like this is the crazy thing. Okay. Is now. Cause now you're back to even. Now, now you, you're, you're, you're still down, right? We're still living on, we have like me and my, me and Brett, we're on food stamps. Yeah. We've got no money. I still have this debt with the IRS, this debt with the credit cards, these legal issues, a lot like a fucking list of things to deal with. All I have going for me is that I'm not on drugs at the moment. Okay, (laughs) so at least now, though, I'm building my the best thing is right. I actually had to completely rebuild everything. Okay, from nothing from actually from a from a deficit. So like coming from a place where not only all like the realities of the the hole that I dug for myself, but just looking in the mirror and not fucking just being disgusted with the person that you're looking at and the journey of putting those pieces back together, right? And so long like to the the story starts where I was applying for a manager position at Hollister in the uh, Wellington Mall, and I get the fucking job. Hey, Do the interview. Sure you get the job. Get the interview, <laughs> right? I'm supposed to be a manager at Hollister. Yeah. Forty thousand, whatever. I like bet. at the time, yeah. right? I'm like, all right, this sounds like I could do it. Like cute girls working in the store. That's where I met you, you Hollister. I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, the day before the job, I'm supposed to get my start date, and I'm waiting on the start date, like. And it's not, I'm not getting the call. So I call my, the hiring manager, like the regional manager. She's like, yeah, sorry. Um, it, uh, there was something on your background check. A couple things came on the background check. Uh, the, we're we're going to have to go in a different direction. So that didn't work out. And that was like the best fucking thing that ever happened to me because the next, like that week, a friend of mine that knew I was looking for work was like, 
hey, there's this um, woman that I know and her son is a competitive lacrosse player and I'm going to reach out and see if like maybe they need coaching or something like that. Because I had really been coaching my whole life. Um, camps, clinics, yeah. every summer, you know what I mean? Like we're all coaching. So I that ends up like looking like an opportunity. And so we go to the park one night and I meet this kid, um, meet the family, run him through a session, bond with this kid kid's so willing such a hard worker and like i'm like helping this kid like i'm like actually like seeing progress in this kid like within our first session and like seeing him make some progress and like feeling happy about that and like just like that was my first time of like feeling like more of like a sense of purpose and um basically this family that i started coaching rj um became like they took me in they really like took me in as like a part of their family um coaching this kid they picked me up from the halfway house um coaching this kid multiple times a week um start doing other things with the family and now the dad is uh not really the one i'm typically um communicating with and like coordinating with yeah. because he's the professional i don't know what he does i just know he's pulling up in a the, the newest range rover and he's like that dude yeah. you know what i mean so he's kind of like needs to fill me out he's like i kind of know a little bit of background on this guy i hear you know what i mean like he's got the lacrosse background yeah. but i also know that like he why he came down match, here yeah. why he came down here blah 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 so he's like starts bringing me home from the practice. Like he'd meet us there, watch, and then he'd swing me home. So he's feeling me out. But him and I just immediately bond. Yeah. And so after coaching his uh, son like three days a week for a couple months, um, he offered me a position at his company. Um, and that was – so like immediately I said yes. And – that wouldn't have happened if I had got the Hollister gig. Fast forward, he's been my mentor and is a CEO of our main company. And he's my, now we have, I have two businesses with him. And um, he's like one of the main reasons that I'm still in Florida is because I've been working for him and uh, now I'm working with him. And uh, it was just this amazing thing where like, you know, you're supposed to link with somebody and you know it's like meant for you. And then you know it happens. What I mean? And it happens and really like over the years it hasn't, it's been like, man, it's been such a slow story of like, just like seeing your friends succeeding, you know what I mean? Seeing your friends accomplishing all this amazing stuff and being happy for them and also feeling like, fuck, like, yo, you got to make something happen like now, man. And so like, this is back in like 2015, I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, what the fuck? Like, you're working hard. It's just not happening that fast. But, like, along the way, you don't realize that you're, like, learning all these skills. You know? You're learning the business. You see other people bouncing around from industry to industry. And I started to realize, like, there was value in me. Like, I, I fell into insurance because that's the business Ray was in. Um, and I really, like, wasn't crazy about insurance. But I was like, this guy... This guy like has what I'm what I want. And I just like I had like one of these voices that was just like, yo, this is where you're supposed to be. Follow. So, so yeah. lock in right yeah. now. And I didn't bounce around. 
other opportunities came for a little bit more money or whatever, but there was a bond and there was that voice. Um, and it, so it wasn't, so it wasn't only Ray. There's another partner, Glenn. And these guys just showed me so much genuine love along the journey. Like when I had nothing, like first two cars, we got beaters. They fronted the money for me to get a car, $1,000, no AC. Um, but before that, I had this little scooter that I would ride to work, $600 from a mafia pawn shop in Lake Worth. <laughs> That's a whole crazy story. Um, crazy story. Guy that like introduced me falls off the map. So now I can't get back to the pawn shops. And I like two months of payments. I'm behind on them. And I'm like, have this fucking on an e-scooter. Uh, it wasn't even an e-scooter. It was like this trike. It was a, it was a, a full blown, like gas powered trike, but it was. So anyway, one of them weed whacker mowers on it type thing. You it, have it was to pull a full something for no, the turn. No, no, okay, it had okay. it had a it had a key <laughs> start. So anyway, man, just the journey of working and feeling like you're destined for more, feeling like you have to be the one for your family to make it happen, feeling like you don't really know how you're going to make it happen. You're not where you want to be, but you know you're with the right people. Um, and being away from my family for years now, so now like you get a year clean. You know what I mean? Like that was a big deal for me. You know what I'm saying? Um, two, three, you're stringing this time together, but what do you have to show for it? You know what I mean? But along the way, you don't give up. Like that's always been the pillar of my story is like no matter how tough it got or – how discouraged I was. You just, you don't, yeah, you don't fold. Mm. So then now where we're at is, um, you know, I get this opportunity in 2017 to start a business with the two top guys, mm -hmm. Ray and Glenn, and they make me a partner in one of the businesses. And, um, that's amazing, man. It was like, it's always different when you own your first business, okay? So, like, there was also a shift in me during around that time where, like, my priorities, like, shifted from, like, the gym and other stuff to, okay, like, now I'm going to put my fucking, like, I'm going to put my foot down on the pedal and, like, put my passion and my purpose into my businesses, right? And really, like, dedicate myself to that. And since then... And since going all in on on what we've been building professionally, like we've been we've accomplished some amazing things. So the first business we started is called Rocket Flood, and we're an insurtech flood insurance agency. And since we started it, we went from a nothing, just an idea, pushing the envelope, learning these different things, to now like arguably arguably being one or two in the country for flood insurance. In, in like four years. Yeah. And like... It's not bad on the resume. <laughs> no. no, it's not. And for real, it's crazy because we're, we're about to take this is like we're about to fucking blow past number, Fire number one. Fire me up. And we're going to like what we have like... So next month, right, is ITC. It's InsureTech Connect in Las Vegas. It's the biggest insurance conference in North America. Everybody will be there. It's one of those like massive conferences. Um, and we were selected as like one of 25 startups 
to be showcased in the innovative like startup village. So a big part of ITC is like connecting investors and outside capital with early stage startups Concepts. that yeah that they can invest in. Um, and so this particular area is for like the like the most promising startups in the country. And we were the first company that was accepted into this. You have to apply. Only 20% of a, or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. agencies get accepted. So we're debuting a lot of technology. And just like everything with my story, it's like it takes a long time for something to look like it happened quickly. Ten-year overnight success. Exactly right, man. Yeah. And that's where we are. It's like everyone sees this right now, and they're like, holy shit, like, where did this come from? No, it came from the last fucking 10 years <laughs> of trying and failing and failing and falling short and having to learn how to change this and change that and just not fucking quitting. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and that's what brought us here, man. Fire me up. Yeah, man, that's Fire amazing. Me up. Now, have you had like your to the world like fuck you moment yet? Like where you're just like, nah, you thought you got me, but I, I won. Yeah, so like in June... I, I uh, dropped my lifestyle brand, okay. Sturdy. And that's kind of like, it was me just bringing to the world this lifestyle that we've kind of forged and this mindset that you build when you come back from something that would have fucking killed most people. And when you're able to make it through some shit like I did, and I'm not unique in that sense. There's people like everybody's going through shit. You know what I mean? And when you don't give up on yourself and you stay true to yourself and you show up for yourself and for the people in your life and you actually put in the work required to, lit, to accomplish the life that you say you want. Because a lot of people say that they want this life or that life. They say they want the shit, but they're not actually doing what it takes to achieve that. Right. So when you actually show up and you, and you sacrifice for this life, then you stay sturdy. Like when you're sturdy like that and you show up for the people in your life and yourself and you never fold no matter what comes your way, then that's what it was. And so basically I dropped this and like, this was when I, when I launched the line, I had an idea to like make this lifestyle brand. I kind of knew I was gonna have to come back to social media. And I had been away from social media for a long time. Like over the course of this 10 year period, I was basically like, not on social like that. And so when I knew I was going to drop this, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to leverage social media. So I kind of came back outside and through this whole thing, yeah, there's been a part of like, I, like I remember every single person that said shit 10, mm. 12 years ago. I remember every single person that turned their back, laughed, laughed, said I was finished. There's a long list. Mm. And Damn near every single person on that fucking list is in my rear view mirror yeah. from just fucking locking in yeah. over 10 years. And then you pop outside with the results. Hell yeah, dude. The results of life, uh, I just, I think it's great because you could really just see factually what people are actually doing shit, what people aren't. 
You know, when you said like, you know, it's it's what you do on a day to day. You know, Joe Rogan said in one podcast, he's like, if you woke up every morning, there was a documentary crew at your house at 5 a.m., what would you live your day like? You know, and uh, and if you start viewing, literally, if if a a documentary crew showed up to your house tomorrow morning, like, you're not going to sleep until 7.30, take a half an hour to get up, drink three cups of coffee, fuck off at work. You're going to act like, hopefully, someone who would be inspirational or, or busting their ass. And so when you try to take that into every single day and bust your ass and just focus on that one day, and bust your ass in whatever plane you're going at, whether that's a gym or a workout or a job interview or whatever that is. Just focus in and hone in on that. Leave the rear view behind you. Just focus on what you have on your plate. Take it in a little bites, man, and just keep winning day after day. And then that creates something called momentum. And once you got momentum, boy, it's hard to stop. Momentum bad or momentum good, you know. So there's two waves to it. And... Um, it's obvious, you know, that when you decide to put your mind to something, whether that's a soccer national team in the sixth grade or St. John's Division One lacrosse player or creating your own startup, you know, and going to a conference where you're going to lay your dick down and probably unreal some, some cool shit, I would say, because you have a smirk on your face that says, you know, that's my fuck you moment, you know. So, <laughs> dude, I'm so excited for you, man. And now... In your personal life, right, we kind of had gone through the past two, 10 years of being sober. On a date, on a week-to-week, month-to-month, like now you go out and you have no problem being in a social scene or at a bar and, and you don't think twice about it. Yeah, it's not even something that comes into your mind. No. Yeah, not at all, man. Um, now you're living life. Yeah. And like uh, my only thing is like I just want my friends and family to have like a happy and fulfilled life. And like, no, like I'm not going to be in a situation where people are – doing drugs around because that's just not healthy that's not helping me to where i want to go right now you know what i mean but yeah no absolutely not you're just living life now are you single dating and relationship what what are you yeah no single um and like every no i mean to be honest with you everything right now is locked in on the mission like this is five years rocket flood is five years in the making um of just countless nights late nights you know what i mean so like we're literally in the crunch time right now like putting the finishing touches on everything that we're dropping at itc so it's like but even before that like so just to take a step back since february um we've been doing this thing called the sturdy og check-in right so sturdy is the my personal lifestyle brand and a good friend of mine david caldwell has a lifestyle brand called OG. It stands for uh, stands for out here getting it. <laughs> and so he posted something. Amazing guy um, made it to the NFL off staying sturdy, basically. Okay. <laughs> um, everyone told him no. He wasn't good enough. Do you know? Take Plan B. Blah blah blah. Um, and plays three seasons in the NFL uh, with the Colts and the Giants. And he's always just been this guy that I was like that you look up to. He's one year older than me, but we grew up in the same town. So we post something on his social media that like, hey, I'm doing this thing called the 6 a.m. check-in. Now I'm up at 6 already. Mm-hmm. I'm up at 5 a.m. every day and I'm in the gym by 6, halfway through my warm-up run. So I'm like, all right, perfect. Like, I'm, I can't wait. This is like, this is like amazing. Like, Dak's like, like making this call every morning, this Zoom call at 6 a.m. and I'm thinking there's going to be tons of people on it, right? I get on. First day, there's just me and one other person, and I'm fucking shocked. I'm like, 
are you, like these people yeah, are giving yeah, up yeah. the opportunity to link with Dak every morning. I just yeah. didn't comprehend it. Like, um, and then the, by like the end of the week, it was just me and him. And the next two months, we spent on a check-in every morning, 10 minutes at 6 a.m. We start our day like that. Every day we share a lesson. We share an experience we've just had. We share a past life experience that maybe like turned into like a pillar of our success or like a mantra that we've lived by. And um, since then, we've expanded it and really built this community called Sturdy OG of people that are on their journey to accomplish their purpose. And we meet every morning at 6 a.m. We start our day with like a 10, 20 minute call where we'll share something with each with the group. And then like it will just like focus your thoughts on it. It will like give you some additional perspective or just win the battle with the morning. You know what I mean? Like you win that first battle and it's crazy how like just waking up early is hard for certain people. You know what I mean? Um, but just like you, we hear the podcast talk about and it's really rang true for my life. Like you wake up early, you win that first battle, you have this realized time for yourself. So a lot of, for me, I'm in the gym and I'm training and that's my time. You know what I mean? Like it's two hours in the morning. From there, I tend to make better eating decisions I'm more focused going into the rest of my day. And so like since we started doing these calls in February, the momentum that you touched on, I've just been shocked. It's like every week you could level up. Every week you could feel more confident that you can just accomplish more. And like you start to develop this blind confidence where it's like you don't even consider what the task or the challenge is. It's like the thought of not betting on yourself is like sickening. Yeah, it's like you don't even think twice. It, it could be anything in the world, right? And so we've just been rolling that shit into anything in our path, man, and just putting that energy into our businesses and like personal relationships. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm just locked in on winning. That's awesome, um, man. <laughs> God damn, that fires me up. Uh, one more thing to what you just said with momentum. People always look at macro momentum like, wow, it was 90 days that he got really fit or strong or he looked skinny. But that macro momentum was turned into waking up that first morning at 5 a.m. Then brushing their teeth, getting to the gym, eating correctly. Macro momentum is built by little, 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 minute decisions. And when you start every day with momentum and that micro push of for good, yeah. then it's right there in front of you. Then it starts to unfold. Why would I go eat a shitty donut if I just worked out? That makes no sense. Right. You know, why am I going to, you know make this car payment or buy this thing if I've just been saving the last fucking four weeks. You know, that makes no sense. So when you start to lay things out in front of you and it's just so obvious on what decision is, you know, that's where that confidence and that innate feeling comes from because you have so much clarity with your identity. You know exactly who the fuck you are. You know exactly what, to bring, what, what, what you bring to the table mm. because you put in the work every single day. So it, if not you, then who? If not you, who's working harder than you? Let me meet him. Yeah. Is he on a 6 a.m. call every fucking morning? I bet you not. Is he at the gym at 5 a.m. every morning? I bet you not. And if he is and you figured out he was at the gym at 4, your ass would be there at 4 too. Facts. So like, it just, just it, it makes me so happy that you found your identity. You know who you are in this world. And now it's part of your purpose to go back and help and show people, whether it's through your lifestyle brand or through your business. And I'm sure if this business booms, you'll have some type of passion or purpose with, with either opening up a rehab facility or, or starting a nonprofit. 
Um, I could feel your heart saying that. So, Garrett, man, is that the first time you ever told your story, the, the whole thing? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was like 20% of all of like of the story. Okay. But yeah, that was the first time I've ever publicly shared on it, man. Okay. Thank you um, for doing that, bro. Yeah, thank you. It was like... Part of it, I wish I delivered it better because... You delivered but, pretty fucking really good. Fucking good yeah. yeah. Um, the last thing I want to just share with everybody because I feel like not enough people get this part of it, right? The last year, I've been using physical training to build my mindset, okay? And a lot of people think about the gym and I think the vast majority of our society thinks about the gym and they think physical, okay? Like get in shape, lose weight, and all those things are true, but there, I've been able to build this X factor that I'm bringing into my professional life and, any, and just anything in, in life, right? And it's every day, right now, for the most part, I'm training by myself, which I don't love, but I make a point that I'm going to fucking kill myself in the gym every morning. Now, you don't have to take it to my extreme, right? But... It's this, like you, like you mentioned. This, I know it. This Cat Five CrossFit. That was it, huh? Josh. That was. That was it. I was gonna ask you before. It's got to be CrossFit. Yes. Yeah, you came. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> you were the five AM crew. Yeah. Yeah. You and uh, the other. The other. No. Week. Now I remember it immediately. Were yeah. you? Would you come in with your girlfriend at the time or something? Or who? No. Was, who oh, there was somebody geez, else you were with. Um, no. So I had. My senior year of high school, right? I was obese my entire life. My senior year of high school, uh, after football, I got done. And I realized I wasn't going nowhere. I lost a bunch of weight through like a boot camp, Hugh. After I got done with Hugh, Josh put on Groupon, Cat 5 CrossFit, like beginner sale, right? Got my ass. Josh is just, you know, shout out to Josh. Yeah, if you're out there out, watching this, Josh, man. man. He's got a metabolic now. Yeah. Um, but uh, what an awesome guy. What a great gym they had there, bro. The best. And then, and, but I was, that was... So I was there for like three consistent months, and then I went off to college. I went up to Orlando. So I would come back for holidays and Murph and I shit like that. Um, but you guys really built a solid-ass community there, man. Yeah, And we did. Uh, it was badass. You guys went to Waterpalooza one time. Yeah, man. And, that uh, was like right when I needed like a community yeah. and um, like an identity and a group and everything. Yeah. Like that came in at the perfect time. Yeah. And that was a really special time, bro. And that was that was exactly it, man. Yeah. <laughs> so dope. I told you I would. You yeah, did. One hundred percent. You laced it at the yeah. finish line. Yeah. Well, Love it, man. Between your aesthetics and then like getting through it, I was like, ah, it's got to be something with probably CrossFit. And then uh, yeah, yeah so man. Do that. So me. yeah, just all right. So like the last thought was just like building your mentality and character yeah. through something. And for me, I leverage physical training, right? So every day, I have a, a a training program or I have a workout plan for the day. And no matter how tough it gets, whatever I laid out for that day, I'm not leaving the gym until it's completed, right? And when you do that consecutively, you build this character that you just start, you finish what you start, period. There is no middle ground with that, okay? And what happens is as you're building this, you're getting stronger, you have to make the workouts tougher and tougher to test yourself more and more. And as this volume starts to increase or whatever, you put yourself in these uncomfortable, we talk about it a lot, discomfort training, right? Every single day, I'm going through more discomfort and pain before my competition wakes up, Correct. right? So I'm literally like, 
And I'm, it's by election. That's the whole point. You electively put yourself in discomfort, right? To build this mentality of the, the muscle reaction, the muscle memory. So when shit hits the fan in life, there is really no thinking about it. Like quitting and folding isn't even in your nature, right? So when most people, it's going to get tough on the th- first or second. Most people definitely won't th- make it through failing three times yeah. at something. And so you can really separate yourself and make it so much further just by outlasting people, right? And so long story short is I really want to encourage people to give, like, to open their perspective and realize that the mental benefits of working out to me far outweigh the physical benefits. Like looking great is just like a positive side effect of training every day. But you're going to build discipline. You're going to build that positive momentum that's going to lead you into making better decisions throughout the day. You build your confidence, your mental health. There's just so many other benefits besides just like physically looking good. And that's a big part of like the lifestyle brand is just building the mentality. That's it, and if, if someone doesn't see the parallels between physically working out and life, you know, going to a gym, rep by rep by rep, set by set by set, one day you'll have leg day and you fucking can barely walk in there and you got to stretch for three hours before and something goes wrong, you get a call, whatever. The parallels to life are exactly that. And what I like about physicality and aesthetics is it's very obvious whether someone works out, whether they eat right. Like you can't fake that shit. You know, you could buy an ass, but even that looks fake. You know, so yeah. it's just very... You know, for me, you know, when I was my biggest, it always killed me with my insecurity that I show up and off the bat say there's five pillars in life and health is one of them. If I'm overweight, the person subconsciously thinks, all right, well, he doesn't have that. He can't get a, he can't get a hold of his, his eating habits. Is he going to get a hold of making those cold calls or answering those emails or, right. you know, so as bad as it sounds, I'm not saying I'm fucking fat phobic. What I'm saying is subconsciously you when you judge someone or you have that first you know instinct of seeing someone i think the the animal part of us humans reacts to that person's healthy or that person's not or that person's serious or that person's not and um and there's so many parallels between going to the gym and working hard and building and building that discipline within life um dude garrett i am so happy you came on here man and um uh, we've had a few opiate or ex-opiate addicts on here and each one of their stories are amazing. And ironically not, um, each one of them are mega fucking successful or just about to get there. Uh, Mike Malak says it all the time. He is an ex-opiate addict. But uh, what addicts have, and just from a third party, what I could feel is if you get over addiction and the lowest lows of that, you could really conquer anything in the world. Because that's probably the hardest thing to ever get out of in life you know, your dad passed, you had an opiate addiction. Like, what haven't you beat? So when you look at your day and when you look at the next year, what is life going to throw you that you can't fucking beat, dude? I mean, look at your fucking resume, you know? So as you go throughout life, audit what you've done and, and how far you've come. And uh, to Garrett's case, just don't stop. Keep fighting. And I, and I guarantee you, you're going to see some good benefits from that. Uh, bro, I love you. And guys, if you've gone through something or just want to talk to Garrett, reach out to him, follow his company, Sturdy. You know, he sells apparel. If you want to grab a shirt just to support him and his sto- story, because I'm going to, uh, please do. We'll have all that information in our bio below. Um, Garrett, thank you so much for coming on, man. It was yeah, awesome. That was really incredible. We will see you guys next week. This is Garrett. Peace. But I've been nice, I can't money, I'm almost up again. Trying to stack a little dub, trying to catch a win. And next time I drop a coupe, it's gonna be a twin turbo. 
always been a G, but I ain't never been a herb, though. Well, I'm